Welcome to the Missouri Wind and Solar Podcast. I'm your host, Wes Shank, coming to you from our store in Seymour, Missouri. Each week with my co-host and Missouri Wind's General Manager, David McDerris, we discuss the latest on renewable energy. Check out our additional educational information on our website at mwands.com. Thank you for downloading this podcast, and please subscribe. Thanks for joining us. Over the next two podcasts, we're going to talk about a topic that I really enjoy, particularly interested in, and that is preparedness. And so with everything that's going on in the world today, David and I have been talking about this, and we thought it's probably a great time just to go back and and talk about the idea of preparedness. And we always kind of couple that with the phrase I like to use is uh, energy independence. Those two just kind of go in hand in hand. So we'd like to spend the next two podcasts just going over what that kind of means, particularly in context of Missouri Wind and Solar. So sorry, David, as you're nodding your head. They can't, yep. they can't see you nodding your head yep. on the podcast. <laughs> so where do you think we should start off with? Well, I mean, just overall, you know, Wes and I have come into this discussion through many books we listen to and some fictional, some non And he said books we listen to, so we don't sound like... <laughs> Yeah. Idiots. Yeah. We both use Audible. We a use lot. Audible. We travel a lot, so we use Audible a lot. So, and we, we listen to a ton of podcasts yeah. too. So. so, with that, you know, there's always scenarios of, of the what ifs, you know. And today, as we're speaking, you know, there's viruses that are out. There's always that impending gloom and doom, right? So, we're not trying to get onto that, but it's just the deal that I have started doing and Wes has done for years. I've more recently started doing it trying to just be prepared if an event was to happen you know even even a bad flu epidemic are you ready for that i mean are you even ready if you were traveling down the road and your car broke down and you had to go 10 miles and it was 12 degrees outside and you had to walk 10 miles to you know so not just preparedness with maybe your energy needs but just being prepared in general for the situation that is hand now, we're going to talk more about your energy needs and things of that nature and how you want to be prepared in a case of emergencies from ice storms to the, the worst possible case that a major power outage is due to, to grid failure, you know. So that's kind of what we're going to go through with, on this one and look forward to talking to you about it here. So David mentioned a couple of books and he and I both like the fiction ones that are out there. There's several good, well, there's probably more than several. There's a ton of them. But one of the books that I had gotten into relatively recent, probably a year or two from when he published it, is actually a book called Lights Out by Ted Koppel. And it takes the gloom and doom and all that sort of out of it and, and boils it down into some realities and what the fragile nature of the, the grid and that sort of thing. So if you're not into the fiction side of this or something like that, and, and you think this is all just kind of a lot of nuts out there just, you know, worrying about things. I think uh, Koppel brings a, a particular level of weight of authority on having researched this out and looking to see what the nature of, again, the fragility of the grid. You know, you just go back and I forget how many, it's only been like a few years since, you know, all of the northeastern U.S. was totally blacked out by just a couple of low-hanging power lines that that finally grounded out and just took out the entire area. So what we wanted to focus on here is not the 
you know, there's a nuclear attack by China or something like that. There's a thousand other things that could happen in just your neighborhood that would create a scenario where you don't have power. I mean, right now, as, as literally as we're sitting here today, the sleets have fallen out. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, that could easily become a week without power for somebody. I mean, you mentioned that when we were talking yeah. the other day. You were out for— Yeah, so I was in 2007 here in Missouri. There was a, a major ice event. And it doesn't happen just in Missouri, but I happen to be a part of this one. I was without power in town for 14 days. I lived in the city limits of Lebanon, Missouri, and was without power for 14 days and was not prepared. And had it not been for my in-laws that lived somewhere that still had power down farther to the south, that would have been a very rough time for the for that 14-day period, you know. But oh, yeah, I had a, my oldest brother was a Florida State trooper for 100 years. He was in Homestead when Andrew hit. And they weren't without just power. They were without. Yeah. We, we carried them a, a camper trailer down there for them to stay and all that. And, and then he moves to Panama City. And then just two years ago, yeah. oh, man. <laughs> like, man, you may want to get out of Florida. <laughs> but the point is, is that these are, you're talking about just localized events. Yeah. It's, Real this world localized events. On, that, on some kind of, you know, national scale. That happen yearly, you know. Exactly. So, and the interesting thing is you were talking about this the other day, too. Tell them that story again about you were going home in the in the power lines on the big yeah high, high, was it, it was high tension yeah so it? it's the big high tension lines it's the, it's the big lines it's not just your regular you know seven hundred and or seventy two hundred you know dual power lines that you see running you know everywhere across the United States this was the big carrying lines that that feed the big actual feed stations. And we were traveling home, and it was slick and icy and snowy out. And I actually confirmed this with two of the other workers that were following me to make sure I wasn't going crazy. But as we was traveling under these well, big— Well, at least not for that. <laughs> well, <laughs> crazy in this sense. But as we were traveling under these big—there are five big transmission lines, because that's what these were, was the actual transmission lines. And they were swinging about 10 foot in just erratic— ways i mean but you know, it was like it was like a wave amplitude yes it, it was just were. up and down and i mean it was crazy what they were doing and and we saw it and i was scared to death to even drive <laughs> underneath it but i had to get home you know but i couldn't drive fast because there again it was icy and snowy but that was the power company trying to keep because it was an icing event and they were trying to keep the ice from building up on those lines you know and just even with that as they surge those lines, there's a risk, and they know it as they do it. There's a risk that they can over-surge a transformer down the line, and that may be what causes your power outage for, you know, could be a week, could be, depends on how many they destroy. You know, it could be a week, could be a two weeks. We actually had a flooding event down here, down around Sam's home. It's been about three years ago, a major flooding event, and there were people down there that was out of power for over a month. Well, and i tell you one of the interesting things, and again, I keep going back to Koppel's book. It's, it's a really good book. One of the interesting things that he talks about in that is that in a lot of these power stations, you know, so you have intermittent power stations, mm-hmm. right, where yeah. I guess they have to step it down and, and yeah. that sort of thing from there. So he was pointing out in his book that a lot of those are very old and that some of the I guess the, the transforming equipment yeah. that is in there was actually brought in by train and at such time they removed the tracks. And so one of his big concerns is if you had an event at a critical one of these plants with one of these older transformers that one they don't have very many in inventory they may not even be able to get it there because 
Right. You know, they would literally have to build railroad tracks right. because of the size and weight and all these things now. So when you hear something like you're talking about there. Yeah, they're surging these things. Trying to, you know, they're trying to keep it from a major catastrophe happening as far as ice building up so bad on the line that it could actually destroy their line, you know, bring down their line, which is unlike just a regular power line. The big transmission lines like that. I mean, oh, yeah. I can't imagine a, what uh, it would, would take it's that. It's a huge deal. I mean, it's a huge deal. So, Well, so let's talk about what you would think is the best of both worlds, which is, okay, so you guys were talking about power and how to do that. Well, wouldn't the obvious thing to do to have the best of both worlds is be connected to the grid and then have wind and solar that's generating and then... Whenever the power goes out, well, cool. I got wind and solar right there. There's a little bit of a disconnect there, isn't there? Yeah, there's a little, <laughs> there's a little bit of disconnect there. That is by far the best. Still, in my opinion, even if the grid was to go down, if you'll put the proper protections in before that inverter that would be running your home in that case. So the protection has to come in on the ingoing or outgoing line of the actual grid power because that's what's going to destroy well, any more specifically though you've got to have the right because you can't just buy a hundred dollar inverter no 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 yeah it's got to be a it's got to be what they would consider a hybrid grid tie inverter like in most cases what we're going to be talking about here would be like our outback bfxr and these are not inexpensive units to buy right they're and not that, that runs how much the outback bfxr is going to be around $2,100. Okay. But for a 3,500 watt inverter. But the thing there is you can, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you know I have challenges. That is a very substantial expense that is only associated with you being grid tied, correct? Correct. Because if you were off grid, you could have a different inverter and different inverter and a yeah. less expensive one yeah right, way less same, expensive yeah right. especially for the same size inverter 3500 watt right i can get into a 3500 watt inverter for close to around 500 dollars. yeah and i don't want to sound like we're knocking grid tied at all right we're not, we're, we're we're not. not. but you need to understand that if you have not specified or talked with somebody and got this set up this way that your grid tie may just go down with the power. With the power. And would, if you do not have it set up in the correct form, it would go down because what would happen, and we're talking if it was like CME, coronal mass ejection, or an EMP or something of that nature that would actually cause high voltages to run backwards down the lines, basically, and run into your overvolt transformers. From there, the transformer would actually feed it into your home overvolt. It just kind of blows everything out. It, well, but even what I'm getting at is, you know, if you just got one of our grid tie inverters for solar right. and you've got, you know, oh, yeah, uh, you've got yeah. less than a thousand watts where the panel's out there and you've just got it hooked in and, and you're just net metering. If the power goes out, you're out. You've got nothing. Now, you could disconnect the solar panels and right. find some batteries. And, and we hope that you could disconnect there again. They're at that time, they're still hooked to the grid. So it has the potential if that inverter can't stop it to go back up through the, the panel as well. So you know, typically if, if I'm talking preparedness and I'm worried about some kind of event that I'm not going to have power, I want to want to get an off-grid system. I want to be totally hooked away, just totally off of the grid with it. You know, most of our inverters now that we have, they don't have the electronics in them that could actually get hurt by any type of big solar flare or anything like that. They would just keep on running as, as performed. 
as prescribed in them. So that's what I'm going to recommend. Definitely in a preparedness situation of, and there again, when we talk about being prepared, I'm not talking living your life like you were, you know, the day before it happened. This is something that, hey, I need to run a few lights. I need to make sure I can run a refrigerator, something of that nature, that I can run some of this small stuff, you know, just to make my life a little easier than it would be. But it's not going to be luxury anymore. It's going to be more. I just need to be prepared for. Well, in the next podcast, we're gonna we're gonna talk. I think there's some yeah. luxury that you could do. And you can, <laughs> you can. But so I we mean, can talk you, about, but let's come back and make sure that when we're talking about your generating devices being grid tied, is that what these I'm going to say less expensive grid tie inverters are doing is they're sensing they're the, sen- the, the, yeah. the energy on the other side of this. Right. Right. So. And again, if you think about it really simply, it makes a lot of sense. So what this inverter wants to do is when it doesn't detect the power on the, we'll say on the power company side, it basically shuts itself down because what you don't want to have happen is some lineman, you know, who goes out there and he assumes that the power is only coming from the one direction and, you know, that's what he knows. And then he goes to grab this other side and right. he gets hurt. So, you know, we never want something like that to happen. So that is the reason that those inverters are designed the way they are. And like a lot of times, like when we put some in at our house in Georgia, you know, the power company wants to come out and they literally pulled the meter right. to see what, Yeah, I mean, they yeah. came out and took the meter yeah, off. It's just a meter test. I mean, they basically. And looked and saw if it stopped. Right. And then if, yeah. it, if it hadn't stopped, then it would have been bad. Because yeah. Really what they're looking for is what they call it. In the inverters, island protection, and basically that's just exactly what Wes stated. They're looking for if it is still going to produce energy after there is no matching voltage on the other side. So the power company's matching voltage, if it can't match that voltage, then it just says that I'm just going to sit here and do nothing until there comes back on power, some kind of matching voltage. But now what the VFXR does, right? It What the VFXR does is a little bit different. So it does the same thing in retrospect. But it does it after the battery bank is full. So the VFXR, it's a battery-based grid time inverter. And so your panels are going to go through a charge controller, just like in an off-grid situation. Your panels are going to go through a charge controller to the batteries. Or your wind turbine. Or the wind turbine, that's right. So And still, either way, wind turbine, panels, either one going through a charge controller into our battery bank. They're regulating the actually how much energy our battery is going to hold and and disperse, then once that VFXR registers that that battery bank is full and has been full for a prescribed period of time, and it varies, you can make it vary, after it reads that for a prescribed period of time, it will actually start sending the energy, the excess energy, then pretty much it just kind of transfers it, runs it across the top of the battery. Instead of going in the battery then, say you're producing your panels or your turbine was producing 200 watts, it just kind of skips across the top of the battery and goes right back out into the grid, and it feeds the it's grid. It's net metering. That's right. So it switches so, from filling up the batteries to net metering. Right, and then it's got an automatic transfer switch in it. It's built into the unit, and so there's no need to worry about if it's you know if, if the grid's on or off. And what you typically will do with this one, and it's the same way we have it here at our store. We actually use this in our store, so we can keep coming to you with podcasts even if the power's out. <laughs> So, yeah, this sleep keeps on. That's right. So typically what you do is you set up a what you would consider a reserve panel, or that's what I would typically call it. You know, so you take 
certain items out of your main breaker panel and you put this over into the reserve panel. Like on our instance, we have some outlets, lights, refrigerator, different things that we want to, uh, our server, things that we want to for sure that keep running while we're in business hours or non-business hours. And then if that happens to go down, if that power grid goes down, it automatically transfers and starts sending energy only to those units that we've prescribed that it's going to go to. So there's no need to go to the breaker panel and flip off a bunch of breakers. It just only feeds that panel. And think of it like this. So it's just like if you go, and I'm sure some people are out there thinking when he was talking about that, well, if you have a, you know, coronal mass ejection, you know, why would you keep your server up and running? Well, this is no different than just having a normal, like, uninterruptible power supply on your computer system. As you all know, I mean, we have, you know, little brownouts all the time, depending on where you are. And if you're a little bit out in the country like we are, you know, that just, it happens. Just happens. It just happens all the time. happens every day. And so this unit will basically is acting as a big UPS for your house. That's right. That's exactly. And it just so happens that. You know, it could keep things running for however many days that your battery supply lasts. Right. So the one thing that I was going to ask you on that, does the VFXR, does it have a, a low voltage shutoff? It will shut down at a certain point to protect the batteries. It's generally fairly low on the voltage, so you have to be careful with that. But the cool thing with the VFXR is is it has a, another product that can go hand-in-hand hand with it, and we'd recommend every time with it. It's called a mate. In the mate, you can actually program how far you want it to let it dissipate before you before it's going to shut off. So the mate is in there, or you can add the mate to it. And there again, I mean, we don't just recommend it every now and then. 100% of the time, we recommend the mate. Okay, with the so if the batteries drop down, the mate kicks in, then is it still monitoring for hopefully it to come back up? Yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it's just sitting there waiting for that sunlight sun comes out or tomorrow that, or the, the wind, wind to up. pick up or something to give a little bit of juice back to those batteries so it can actually come back up and run things. So does it have to hit a certain point on those batteries for it to come back on? It has to go back over the prescribed level, or it's actually it has to go up like I think it's four points. You know, so you know, so if it was so if you set it so at eleven point four. It had to go to eleven point eight before it'd say, "Okay, I'm willing to go back on." Okay, you because if not, you, yeah, you can't forth, let it go eleven point five, eleven point four, eleven point. Because a battery, as soon as you take the load off of it, is going to jump up a little bit. I mean, every time, and that's just how batteries work, you know. And everybody knows this because you crank on your lawnmower battery and you and it sounds like it totally. Then you wait, you know, two minutes and you didn't charge it, but you hit it again and it seems to have a little energy again. You know, same situation. So okay, well, let's wrap this portion of it up we're going to talk about some more we'll get into some more details on our next podcast again we'll talk about get into a little more details on our recommendations and what we see from the energy side on being prepared so thanks for tuning in and catch the second episode of this coming up in just a bit thank you for downloading and listening to the podcast today if you have a question that you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast email us at radio at mwands.com. You can follow us on our website, mwands.com, or subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Check out our store at mwands.com and buy some stuff. Buying stuff allows us to continue to produce our educational broadcasts, like our podcasts and YouTube videos. And most importantly, it keeps Lucy's doggy chicken treats coming. Thanks again.